warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! Oh my god! It's coming! This just in! After years of terrorizing the East Side, the Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Fest is headed for Seattle! Saturday, April 13th, 2013, at 2 p.m. at Central Cinema. Includes two comedy horror features, three blocks of shorts from around the world, an epic prize giveaway, and live music from Funk Phenomenon Tip to Bass. All hosted by Steve and Gord of the Bone Bat Show. The sponsoring parties of this cinematic catastrophe are... GT Printing Equipment, Flying Saucer Pizza, Games and Gizmos, Mac and Jack's Brewery, Steel Chocolate, Corner Comics, Pony Press, Dark Horse Comics, Play and Trade, Alternative Cinema, Paizo Games, Soccer Farms, and Scarecrow Video. Tickets available now at Bonehand.com. Get your tickets today! The Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Festival is coming! Are you ready? The Bone Bat Podcast, where you can listen to Steve and Gord. It's a kick-ass digital broadcast where we've got dick jokes galore. Bone Bat. Hey, this is Spike Cassidy from DRI, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show.
what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 98 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How's it going, man? Oh, it's going great. You know, I'm, I'm old. There's a lot of stuff in my life that I have heard. But today I heard something that I had never heard before in my ancient life. You know what that was? Do tell. That was a sound. Let me set the scene, if you will. Every day about 2 o'clock, my cat wakes up from his morning and half the afternoon napping that he does. And he decides it's time to go out. So today he woke up, he walked over to my office and said, hey, it's time for me to go out now. I need to take a dump. I said, all right. So I picked him up like I always do, took him to the front door. And it's, I mean, it's a usual thing. We do this every day. I open the front door slightly, you know, pull it open with my left hand, got the cat in my right hand. He's about six inches off the ground when I just kind of gently toss him outside, tossing him forward because he's a cat. If you set him down in front of the door, that's when he goes, oh, wait a minute. Did I say I wanted to go outside? Maybe I don't want to go outside. I'm a cat. Fuck you. (laughs) So I just kind of gently toss him outside. And there is a freaking ruckus, an absolute ruckus of sound. And I don't even know what. I open the door the rest of the way like, what the hell did I just hear? Dude, I had just tossed my cat into a collection of turkeys that <laughs> were hanging out on my front porch. And the turkeys were as surprised to see a cat as the cat was to see the turkeys. And, and everyone had a lot to say and went moving in different directions. And it, it was awesome. <laughs> Dude, that totally cracks me up. Because, what is it, a day or two ago, you say to me, I hope something interesting happens to me today because I don't have anything to open the show with. And then God is like, okay, cat, turkeys. It's like a Patton Patton Oswalt skit. It really is. I wish I would have had some sort of recording device going, though, when it it happened. Because the turkeys, they make this, like, kind of warbly space laser sound. (laughs) They do that, too. And then, then they do the excited, hey, I'm a turkey generic turkey sound and then they they kind of whistle and make a lot of different noises it was a lot of excited space laser sound and cat sound going on did you uh record some of it for the next man or astro man album i should now every day i'm going to approach that door with a like a recorder in hand hit record toss the cat see what happens maybe i'll just bike around with the cat yeah, there's a good idea. Well, I find the turkeys and just do like a high-speed drive-by with the cat. A high-speed cat-by. Either way, you are a lucky bastard. I guess so. Well, speaking of amazing musicality, we got an awesome band that we are going to be featuring tonight. A band we've been listening to since we were little kids. The band is Dirty Rotten Imbeciles. The D-R-I. Who are they? <laughs> they are... Anyway, a kick-ass band that we spent many hours listening to in Gordon's room as youths. As youths. (laughs) And to this day, I will stomp around my house shouting DRI lyrics. Um, Usually, every day I get more pissed, slip my wrist, slip my wrist, which, if I'm kind of in a mellow mood, comes out as more of a jazzy blues, like, every day I get more pissed. And then inexplicably, I still shout out Reaganomics killing me, Reaganomics killing me, Reaganomics killing me, Reaganomics kills you. There's a lot of them, but I'd rather be sleeping in my bed. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Slice of death wrapped up. Awesome. There's a lot of great stuff. Now, we're going to feature some tunes off of the album's 
dealing with it from 1985 and crossover from 1987, as well as a couple of unreleased demos that we're going to be springing on you for the first time. So how cool is that? Yeah, these guys are still around. You know, unlike Steve's hair, we had an 85 and we, we still do. <laughs> some things last 30 years, some things don't. That's some all I'm saying. <laughs> and additionally, we have a chat with the guitarist Spike Cassidy, who's joining us on the show in a little bit. So I hope you dig all the dirty, rotten goodness that we are serving up this episode. He's Spike. He's our guitarist. Now skin. we've got the music out of the way. Why don't we talk a little bit about the forthcoming Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Festival Let's taking talk. place on April 13th, 2013 at Central Cinema in Seattle. We are currently in the process of watching movies till our eyes bleed for you. And we have watched some great movies and we have watched some terrible movies that, see, you don't have to watch them. I've yeah, we are them. literally oh, taking a bullet for you. A cinematic bullet. Cinematic bullet to the eye. On a daily basis. But we can't talk about that. We're not ready to spring any of the filmic selections yet. That's uh, Our deadline isn't until March 1st, so there's still time to submit your shorts or features for consideration in this year's film festival. What I do want to talk about, though, is we have our slate of sponsors locked up for we this love year. Our sponsors. We, we'll take more sponsors, though. Absolutely do. Now, of course, returning... To the fold from previous years, GT Printing Equipment, who oh, yeah. is really carrying the mail for us this year. That, that's M-A-I-L, by the way. The return of Flying Saucer Pizza and Games and Gizmos. We've got Theo Chocolate. Mac and Jack's Brewery is returning. It will allow us again to do an awesome African Amber Beer Special. For the duration of the festival. How cool is that? That's cool. Additionally, we've got a bunch of prizes from Dark Horse Comics, Oni Press, Play and Trade, Scarecrow Video, Alternative Cinema. And this year, for the first time joining the fold, is Corner Comics in Kirkland. So we got a new comic book shop yeah. that is going to be sponsoring us with some great prizes that we're going to be handing out during the giveaway. It's going to be really cool. I we mentioned there's prizes because we give away prizes. We give away a lot of prizes. You don't believe it, check out the Facebook page. We'll get some testimonials there because people win shit at the Bone Bat Film Festival. I don't they think do. anybody has ever gone away from the Bone Bat Film Festival not happy. So you definitely need to come this year. Tickets well, there was are... that one wino that you knifed in the back, but he didn't buy a ticket. I'm sure he had it coming. <laughs> Why did I say that? I don't know. <laughs> he did. He had it coming. He did not go away happy. Anyway, tickets are on sale now at www.bonehand.com slash boneBatFF. So, Why do you have to say www? Can't I don't you know. Do we probably don't need to say that anymore. Anyway, uh, so you'll find a link to buy your tickets there as well as the enormous package. Now, keep in mind, the enormous package is only available for a limited time. So you pay you can't fifty just bucks. Go get the enormous package anytime you want. Early bird tickets are twenty five. Enormous package will cost you fifty bucks. It'll get you a t shirt, a CD, the debut CD from Tip to Base. You'll get a poster of the event featuring the amazing art of Mister Nick Gucker and a bunch of other swag that we're gonna pack all in a fancy custom arted up bag by Gord himself. So definitely get your enormous package early because we're setting the run for the t-shirt sizes. If you want to guarantee that you get the shirt you want, 
the best way to go is the enormous package. I don't have anything to add. It's, when it comes to enormous packages, Steve is, is just all over it. Well, that's quite a but... mouthful, really. <laughs> uh, Feedback-wise, only thing I have here is uh, our friend Gareth. Hey, Gareth. Fired in and complained that, you know what pisses me off? Your website saying that the next show is sometime in February 2012. Does that mean we're done? No more bone bat? Yeah, I, I can't type, Gareth. No, Gareth. It needs, means you need to travel faster than light if you want to hear the next <laughs> It means I forgot to change a number in the HTML. I'm sorry about that. It won't happen again, I promise. Sorry. You know, you've already said what pisses off Gareth, but we haven't even talked about what pisses us off. That's a good point. Why don't we talk about that? Gord? Let me tell you. Inept clapping is what pisses me off. People in the Sacramento area do not know how to clap. Are you talking about like the golf clap or what? No, it's there's really two speeds of this. I know it's going to come as a shock because we're doing a punk band on the show, but I do actually listen to other kinds of music. And I've noticed something when I attend the more classical type concerts. When you go to a classical music venue, if you will... You wait until the piece is over, and then you clap. You don't clap at every pause, every rest. You don't clap between movements. Wait until the conductor turns around. You notice the freaking orchestra is not playing anymore. That's when you clap. You don't just clap every time the mood takes you. You're at a goddamn Andavi. You're not at a tractor pull, okay? <laughs> well, but if, what if what if somebody does like a, rips off a badass solo? You're not no, allowed to clap at the end of the clap solo? then. Yeah, you, t- you do. I-, I would allow that. I think no, that's fine. That's, a, that's it in rock and roll, in ska, in a more informal no, setting. No, even, yes, even I would say jazz that. or blues, like jazz, the guitarist blues, plays. Yes, it's good, not a good solo. classical. Really? But that brings me to the second inept clapping, and this is universal. It's not just Northern California where we're insecure about our classical music. It's the inept, inept rock and roll clap. And that's when people in the audience attempt to clap in time with the band people you can't do it stop it well wait every time you do it you do it wrong on occasion isn't that a audience participation type of thing that the band actually encourages it happens the singer goes come on put your hands up that's right put your hands up i want to see everybody clapping and everyone claps and they get like the first three to five beats correct and then it spreads out and within like 20 to 30 seconds you've got a clap that's like this big elongated and it starts like half a beat early and it ends about three quarters of a beat late and it's a goddamn mess i just saw a group and it was nothing percussion okay the guys up on the stage are drummers that's all that's happening people are hitting drums and at one point the audience tried to clap along with them you can't don't do it (laughs) these guys are the rhythm masters just let them do their thing Stop clapping and acting like you're part of the percussion because you're not. It pisses me off. And don't clap and then say, tight, huh? Don't do it. (laughs) We did filthy jokes already. (laughs) I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. So, yeah, classical clapping, rocking, clapping, 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 clapping. What pisses you off? That reminds me of one of my favorite audience participation moments when we saw Rage Against the Machine and during Killing in the Name of... Zach was trying to get everybody in the audience to chant, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. (laughs) 
Ouch. Just supremely yeah, ironic, awesome. and people were doing it. People are chanting right back, <laughs> fuck you, I won't do what you tell me, as they're doing exactly what he's telling them. Oh, that makes my head explode. <laughs> you know, I have a minor piss-off, and it isn't even original. But uh, my daughter and I went to the movies this weekend to see Warm Bodies, and sitting behind us were these little kids who were just freaking giggling, and they wouldn't stop. And I, like, did the adult turn around slowly and stare at them for, like, a good five seconds, and they would look me back in the eye, but it didn't cower them. It didn't teach them anything. I would turn back around, and they would start giggling again. You're really not that intimidating. Maybe you're but a what guy. the shit? Parents, before you let your kids go out in the world to the movies, tell them to not be an asshole. When you're dropping them off in front of the theater, tell them. Hey, kids, have go fun. Go in there, shut the fuck up while the movie is playing. It's that simple. Don't make noise. Don't giggle. You paid nine bucks to watch the movie, not to listen to each other giggle. Shut the fuck up. Tell your children because it pisses me off. I believe the children are our future, but they need to shut up. Ugh. It almost makes me want to slip my wrist. So what are we going to listen to? How about slip my wrist from dealing it. with it? This is D-R-I. Once again, that was Slit My Wrist, <laughs> taken from dealing with it, the 1985 rounder from Dirty Rotten Imbeciles. Gord, do you have a political yes. rant this week? Ah, sure, why not? You know, I've tried to stay clear of this whole guns, not guns, what's an assault weapon craziness that's going on, but now that they're dragging in my video games, I, I've got to take a stand. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how people getting shot somehow means that video games are to blame especially when i don't think any of these people that have been doing the shooting have actually been video game players but they kind of threw out in columbine the kids played doom yeah the, in columbine they played that was like 10 years ago i'm talking the most recent round of of shooting going on yeah yeah so we've got senator lamar alexander and i'm gonna read i'm gonna read you a quote word for word from this clown he said I think video games is a bigger problem than guns because video games affect people. The fuck, Alexander? Oh, Seriously. The straw man fallacy. Yes. Okay, first of all, that makes absolutely no sense. Second of all, you get shot by a gun and you're a person that affects you. I don't even know where he's coming from this. And the thing about Lamar Alexander is he's one of those Republicans that I occasionally go... Ah, thank God Lamar Alexander's around to talk some sense into people. Not this time. He has hopped on the crazy train. Makes no goddamn sense at all. And then, to thoroughly confuse me, a person that I generally disagree with, who I think is a crazy person, Nancy Pelosi, she wouldn't take the bait when they went to ask her about blaming video games. Traditionally, it's been the Democrats that just love to hop on the media for all social ills I'm thinking all the way back to Al Gore and Tipper and the Parents Music Resource Center the PMRC that, that started blaming 
everything on uh, rock and roll records, God forbid. But Pelosi, she was uh, getting interviewed by Chris Wallace, and he was trying to play the video games uh, and movies are responsible for all the shooting that's going on, and Pelosi wouldn't take the bait. She noted that there's no current evidence that suggests that violent video games equates to violent people. She said, evidence says in Japan, for example, they have the most violent games and the lowest mortality from guns. Yeah, and the Netherlands was another country with huge video game sales and very little gun violence. And I mean, have you seen Japanese video games? Those things are like freaking creepy, scary, violent, and I like creepy, scary, violent stuff. Yeah, my mom doesn't let me play that shit, but... (laughs) (laughs) So Wallace is trying to get her to jump on the bandwagon, you know, saying, okay, there's no evidence to suggest it, but maybe we should fund a study to find the evidence that's suggested. He says, we don't need another study, respectful. We know that these video games where people have their heads splattered, these movies, these TV shows... Why don't you go to your friends in Hollywood and challenge them and shame them and say, knock it off? And Pelosi, she stepped away from any anecdotal evidence that uh, that Wallace wanted to throw up. She said, I don't think we should do anything anecdotally. We have a saying here that says the plural of anecdote is not data. So what we want to know is what is the evidence and what will really make a difference. And I think it has to be comprehensive. Imagine this. Yeah. Nancy Crazy Pants Pelosi... <laughs> is asking for data and evidence of which so far there is none saying that video games cause people to burst into uh, schools and shoot little kids. Well, there was a great article in Kotaku uh, a couple of weeks ago that kind of actually ran down all the studies that have been done. And what the kind of conclusion that a lot of it came to was, is there a connection between violent behavior or uh, overexcited behavior and video games or films? Yes. There's a connection, but that doesn't mean that there's causation. Correlation does not equal causation. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. That, that Everybody when, yeah, you watch, you watch Every Die Hard, single- you might come out of the theater a little bit amped up and going... <laughs> if you go out and you watch a kung fu movie, are you going to want to karate chop and jump around in the parking lot afterwards? Probably so. But that doesn't mean the five fingers of death on anybody. Exactly. And I think what I keep going back to is that more money needs to go into mental health in the United States. And that's finding people screening that, you know, maybe have the potential to have these kind of problems and helping them from a medical standpoint rather than sitting around after the fact and wondering what happened. Socialist. Well, I don't know. I mean. For yeah, no, other I, physical I, I, other physical needs, you have to have, you know, medical care. Why is mental health not considered in the same way that a broken arm would be? I, I, I don't know. know. The same reason your teeth aren't covered by your medical insurance when every other freaking bone in your body is. It makes no goddamn sense. How about you start at the toenails and you go to the hair and everything in between, that's medical. I don't get it. Yeah, but my broken arm or cavities aren't going to take anybody else with them. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're wandering wildly here. Wow, and it's probably, it's probably my fault. Damn it, Steve. <laughs> Get your own podcast. Oh, you, never mind. So that's it. That's my political runt. Runt? Yes. You said political runt. Was that a Freudian slip? Because I don't know. I just said it to be silly. Four foot six? It's because I'm a very short man. I'm a man of very diminutive stature. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we check out another tune from DRI? Let's do it. This is Madman. Batman! He'll kick your butt! 
I didn't know you could hear it. No, I can't. Yep, that stuff hasn't done a bit of good. Okay, come to... The party's over. Okay. Don't you dummies ever understand anything? Got you got to go to school to these others are dropouts. What do you care? You want to go to a goddamn bed. What's the matter with you? Dad, I you. Wake I don't up. know who this guy is, but He's you right. Yeah, He's okay. Hey, I don't need you at all. You come over here uh, right now. I don't want you here at night. You understand? <laughs> That's the only time to practice. Well, man. I don't give a goddamn hell what you. I come home to relax. I don't listen to you okay. and these other dummies. When you come home, we'll stop. I'm home. I've been home for four hours. You didn't tell us to stop, though. Well, I'm telling you to stop now. And get okay. the now we're stopping. Now we're stopping. Once again, that was Madman from DRI, taking from the 1985 album Dealing With It. And joining us now, the guitarist for Dirty Rotten Imbeciles, Spike Cassidy. How you doing, man? Hey, how's it going out there? Thank you so much for joining us on the show. It is always really cool when we can visit with a band that we've listened to for a really long time. And DRI certainly follows that rule for us. You know, I've been a DRI fan more years of my life than I've been not a DRI fan. Like, more than half my <laughs> life I've been enjoying DRI. Wow, that's awesome. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. So, you know, like, we're both comic book fans here, and like any good comic book fans, we love an origin story. So tell us, how did DRI get started? Oh, huh, okay. DRI got started in Houston, Texas in 1982. Um, I had just moved there from New York, and I was going to, like, shows at a place called Joe Stars Omni and another place called The Island. And I wound up running into the other guys, and we were just going to the same shows together and whatnot, and wound up getting together and starting a band and seeing if we could uh, write some music and play some songs, and it worked out. Well, it's kind of interesting, you know, because some people would say that the birthplace of punk in the U.S. was New York, and you moved away from New York to Texas to start your punk band. <laughs> yeah, well, stranger things have happened. <laughs> Butthole Surfers were from Texas. Yeah, oh, yeah, a lot of good bands from Texas. No, no, yeah, no there's a whole stretch of hardcore punk bands from uh, Texas, and uh, we were one of them. And we joined the bandwagon, too, of leaving Texas and moving to San Francisco and, uh, and really starting our career out there. Okay, so were you in San Francisco already when you released Dirty Rotten LP? Uh, no, we just released the, the Dirty Rotten EP, okay. which was a 7-inch version of it that came out first prior to that, um, and it was really like more of a demo to our standards or whatever, what we were thinking. It was just something to get out, something to sell at shows and whatnot, like a demo tape, mm-hmm. only an in vinyl version, and... Um, when we moved out to San Francisco, which was probably only uh, 
less than a year of, after being together, we re-released it as an LP version into a 12-inch record. Okay. And it was just so popular that uh, we wound up becoming our first record and not a demo anymore. And it was like something we couldn't take back. <laughs> so there you go. It's, it's just, you know, it's our first record now instead of a demo. But you did end up repeating a few of those songs on Dealing With It as well. Correct. Um, I Don't Need Society and whatnot. Uh, like I said, that was a demo to us. And when we... Uh, a better recording and everything. We wanted to re-record some of those songs a little bit better, and we changed the style of the the song a little bit, or and rewrote it. And some songs, uh, you know, had different lyrics and stuff like that. So we wound up recording a few different songs over. How did it go down when you guys were first writing songs? It, everybody got together and went, you know, this is fun, but our songs need to be eh, about one quarter of the length of what they normally are. <laughs> You guys were like the first band I heard that was louder, faster, shorter in the extreme. Well, um, most of us were never in a band before. I was the only one that actually played in the band and wrote any music before DRI. And uh, it was kind of hard to write songs and whatnot. We wound up having to just take it really basic and slow everything really down to uh, a snail's pace so that you could understand it and play it. And then once you learned it, Speed it up as fast as possible. <laughs> right so, whereas one band might call it a riff, you call it a song. <laughs> That's right. It totally worked. Well, a lot of your early stuff is like these hyperkinetic blasts of energy, but you also at the same time always had something to say. Who was the kind of keeper of the political fire in your band? Was it all of you, or was there one person that kind of leaned towards the political lyrics? Well, Kurt, the singer, the lyricist, was basically the political uh, person who stuck out and wrote all those lyrics and the oh, political okay. stuff and everything. We all kind of tried to help a little bit, but uh, when we first started, he wrote 90%, 85% of everything. I wrote songs like uh, Reaganomics and stuff, you know, with six words to the whole song. And <laughs> yeah. That was my political part, yeah. And most of the stuff was more uh, social for me, like Busted, and which was like things that happened to me or stories, you know, that I lived. But Kurt, the singer, was uh, the political preacher. What about Madman? Now, what's the story behind that? Is that recording the sound of the irate parent? Was that real, or was that something that you guys uh, recorded on a lark? That's as real as it gets. Uh, we used to practice in Kurt's parents' house, and his brother was our original drummer, so anyway, we used to practice in their parents' house in a spare bedroom, or one of their bedrooms they cleaned out, and we put egg cartons up or whatnot to uh, kind of insulate it. And we practiced there a few days a week or so, and it was after people would get home from work or whatever, and... Their father, who's the madman, would come home from work uh, about 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and open his front door, and he would hear us making a horrific noise of uh, <laughs> us attempting to play music and, and whatnot and learn how to play, and it was pretty horrible, and so I can't blame him. And he'd bust into the jam room door and, say, you know, and yell at us and say, get out of here, I'll come home to relax after a hard day of work and I don't want to hear this crap so <laughs> get your ass and get out of my house <laughs> and so that is real we had a, a ghetto blaster set up to record us rehearsing and um, more than once he came in while it was recording and, and yelled at us 
and uh, he used to call us all kinds of names, <laughs> and uh, he called us the Dirty Rotten Imbeciles. He said, you Dirty Rotten Imbeciles, get out of my house. <laughs> oh, nice. And so that's how we got our name. And he actually called us also uh, a bunch of morons, so we were almost B-O-M instead of B-R-I. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because we had heard the album by, you know, that time when we had a garage band and we'd be like practicing in Gordon's bedroom or in our, my garage at my house. And, the, you know, we would always reference that little riff, you know, oh, my dad's going to come and call us a bunch of morons. <laughs> so that was pretty funny that, you know, life imitating art in a way. Awesome. <laughs> so one of the things, a uh, personal story, is uh, I know in the early days, punk shows were kind of a catch-as-catch-can sort of thing. You didn't know where you are going to be playing, what was going to happen. And you guys actually came up to Medford, Oregon, and you were going to play at this skate shop that had kind of a, a ramp and some other stuff there. And Gordon and I were at that show. And we bought our T-shirts, and there were supposed to be like six bands for ten bucks, and they got all the way up to you guys, and the cops busted the show, and you never got to play. Do you remember that? That sounds uh, familiar. Uh, what year is this? Do you remember? Had like to have been eighty-six. Yeah, probably eighty-six. There was like a, a fat kid, like it looked like he was straight out of the Far Side, and he played punk songs on the piano. He was one of the acts. It was like we saw everything possible except the band we came to see. And right before you guys were going to go on, it was like, woo, and the police All right, pulled finally, up. The DRI, oh. <laughs> scenario happened a few other times, uh, but I don't think I remember that one. And once, another time, just recently, I thought in Oregon we were supposed to play some skate park or something like that, and I think the same thing happened. It must be an Oregon thing, then. I'm not yeah, sure. it's an Oregon thing. Well, you signed my shirt anyway, so thanks for that. I still have awesome. That. Yeah, it happens in Oregon a lot. Any Wisconsin, for some reason. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you signed my shirt, too, but it's just washed off by now. So the next time we see you guys, we'll have to buy another shirt. That's what we'll have to do. <laughs> well, we just missed out. We played here recently in uh, Portland and Seattle. Oh, wow. How, re- how recently? Two weekends ago. Damn. How did I miss that? February 1st and 2nd. I think Seattle was the 2nd. Portland was the 1st. I think we're watching the Super Bowl. Yes, uh, I got to get on it. That's that's unexcusable, I think. So after the release of Dealing With It, you folks kind of changed your sound up a little bit and became one of the pioneering bands in, I guess, what you'd call crossover metal, where you'd had some punk mixed with a little bit of thrash. Now, was that just a natural outgrowth of what you were listening to, or how did that change in your sound come about? Yeah, it was pretty natural. It was an evolution or whatnot. I think that dealing with it changed a little bit, too, from our first record. I mean, our first record was total hardcore punk or whatever. And I think dealing with it, um, you can hear a little more metal influence. And then crossover, you can hear a lot more metal influence. And that was just what we were listening to. I mean, before DRI, we were into hardcore punk. We were listening to Black Flag and Ben Kennedy's A Minor Threat. And... After the release of that first album, when we started writing, dealing with it, uh, we started listening to bands like Slayer and Metallica, and Crossover came out, and before that, we were were listening to a lot more metal bands then, and so you can hear the influence in what we listened to and liked in our songwriting. Well, it was interesting because a lot of the punk bands, you know, they kind of broaden their sound and would do longer tunes and stuff like that. But there were different influences. So, like, Black Flag with In My Head went kind of like a jazzy route. 
and you guys kind of went a thrash metal route. And it was there were just these all these different kind of cool changes amongst the different bands that you could really get a lot of creative, interesting listening done. Corrosion and Conformity went in like a real stoner metal route. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were, they were, uh, I think, heavily influenced by like Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And uh, we used to tour with uh, COC all the time, DRI and COC tour. The Tricock tour. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favorite tour names ever. That's awesome. <laughs> I would prefer the Wetcock tour, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, I've seen you. I don't know if you could make that tour happen. I guess it was, it was called speed metal back then, you know, like Slayer and Metallica sure. and Exodus and Megadeth. Uh, yeah, Exodus, of course. And a yeah, Testament probably was coming around then as well, right? Yeah. And then it was, you know, but it was the speed that was there too, that we were really into being in uh, the, the fast punk hardcore band. So mm-hmm. we just started uh, listening to the, you know, that speed metal and, and started playing a little bit of it as we were writing songs, and so we had, uh, you know, speed, punk, hardcore, metal. <laughs> well, yeah, to, to your point, uh, I guess uh, Nursing Home Blues and Argument and War both have kind of a metallic feel off dealing with it, don't they? Yes, definitely. So after Crossover came out, uh, you guys were signed to Metal Blade by then, right? Correct, Crossover. Uh, dealing with it actually came out on Metal Blade. We recorded it first, and... Then uh, we kind of were putting it out on our own label, and Keaton from Hyrax, which was a, a, a band on Metal Blade at the time or whatever, um, he got a copy of it, and he represented it or showed it to uh, Brian Slagle from Metal Blade, and he was interested and wound up uh, checking us out, and we talked to him and wound up signing with Metal Blade. So the record came out on Metal Blade, but it was recorded in Texas or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was about to be released on our own label, which was Dirty Rotten Records at the time. But Miller Blade came around and offered us a deal, and we, we wanted to put our records in the stores, and they could do it and better than we could, so we went with it. And then you were with Metal Blade for the next couple of albums, correct? Uh, Four of a Kind and Thrash Zone? Correct. During that time, uh, that was where I was listening to you a little less. So kind of fill in those years a little bit for me. Well, we just uh, started doing a lot of touring, and... Uh, We'd be out there doing 60-day tours a couple times a year, and we didn't have much time to do anything else. I mean, we had hardly any time at home and time off. We had very little time to record records and put them out, and it was just band playing, record, and (laughs) and 24-7. And we wound up just going all over the world and seeing a lot and doing what most bands want to do, and it was nothing but the band, and finally... We decided to give it a shot and to take a step back and do it ourselves, and we wound up putting out the next record, Definition, on our own label. We wanted to be a little bit more of a do-it-yourself band and more of like a punk band than a big metal act, which is what we were starting to become. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of ahead of the curve on that as well. I mean, nowadays, a lot of bands are able to promote themselves through social media and release their albums on their own and fund their own tours with like-minded bands and do the independent thing. And that was like in, what, 92 when you were already releasing your own stuff? Correct, yeah. 92 was dealing with it, but we started working on it and doing it uh, a little before then. We, we knew it was going to happen or we were planning for the future. Mm-hmm. And when we started writing Definition, I guess when 91, we already knew it was going to be on our own label. We were going to release it ourselves again and see what we could do with it. Very cool. 
1995 saw the release of your last studio album, which was Full Speed Ahead, also on Dirty Rotten Records, and much more touring ensued. And then, as I understand, you had a few health issues, I guess, which it impeded the band a little bit. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I guess it was quite a while after that. We're talking um, oh, okay. 2006. Oh, I was so like 10 years with, later. Uh, colon cancer. And I had uh, surgery and chemotherapy and radiation for about a year afterwards. And I was unable to pour for, for a while. And the band just wound up taking some time off and a hiatus for a few years until I was better and able to tour again and get back on the road. And then recently, you've been touring again and playing quite a bit, right? We've been playing for a few years, started back up, and and then uh, my cancer came back uh, the end of 2011. And in 2012, I had three surgeries to um, help remove the rest of it, and one of removing uh, parts that were cancer-prone, and so now, basically, I, I'm cancer-free again and shouldn't be able to get the same kind of cancer back. Oh, that's great to hear. All right. That. Yeah, fuck you, cancer. Absolutely. <laughs> and so now you know, we're back and uh, still playing. I really hardly had to cancel any shows or anything. We wound up a few shows here and there that we had to cancel, but basically uh, I just uh, powered through it all, and we really hardly missed any time from the second battle with cancer. Time is one thing. Expense is another. You've got something going on to help raise some funds to pay off the cancer treatment and all that going on. You're raffling off a guitar, right? Right. Well, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I didn't have any insurance. And so uh, I got insurance after it, but being pre-diagnosed with cancer, it didn't really cover a lot. So uh, I had huge deductibles and everything, and the medical bills were tens of thousands of dollars. And it was hard to phantom, you know, how am I going to pay for this stuff? And people started just coming up and offering to donate money and, and help out. And I, I wound up having to, like, put together a, a cancer fund because I couldn't take care of all, like, the people that wanted to help and donate. They were just saying, where do I donate to and everything? So I had to come up with a cancer fund. And people have been coming out of the woodwork and trying to help out by giving me things to sell and raffle off at auction. And recently a guitar company called Fat Goat Guitars put together a DRI guitar and gave it to me to raffle off. And so that's what we're doing right now. That's the current fundraiser is this DRI guitar. It's an awesome-looking guitar. It has uh, DRI graphics all over it, and it's basically custom-made. It has uh, signatures of all the band members on it, and for $10, you basically can be entered in the raffle. And... On May 2nd, which is our 31st anniversary of DRI, <laughs> we're going to draw one of the names out of uh, the hat for the raffle, and whoever gets uh, the name on the ticket that we pull out will win that guitar. That's right on. We're going to have a link on our site where you can go there, and uh, it's pretty much a rule. If you listen to the podcast, you have to buy a ticket, at least one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's very cool. You can also find a, a link on our website, which is DRI1.com or DirtyRottenImbecils.com and as soon as you uh, load that page right on top there's a link with the raffle guitar right there. Very cool. So Spike, you've actually been working on some new stuff and you were kind enough to send over a couple of demos. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, what you guys have been working on most recently? Yeah, um, 
these are songs that have been in the work for, for years, for a few years, and it, it's been a real slow road trying to put together uh, songs in an album and everything. But we're still attempting to do it, and one of the songs against me, the lyrics were recorded when we did this demo, and the second song that you're going to hear is uh, As Seen on TV, and the lyrics for that were just recorded and added to it, so that's something completely brand new and, and probably nobody's really heard before. Well, so this will be like a debut on it. Well, I gotta say, man, that you don't hear very many 30-year-old bands who the singer sounds as good as ever, and Kurt just sounds fantastic on Against Me. <laughs> awesome. That is just we, we classic worked, uh, Kurt. It's so good. We worked on that for a while. It's basically, you know, like I said, a demo. We did it real quick in a couple hours, but uh, we worked hard on it, and uh, it, it's not bad for what it is, you know. Yeah. We, we hope to record them and do better recordings, but as a demo, it's pretty good. Well, you guys are spread all over the nation now, too, right? Yeah, that's part of the problem. Um, not one of us lives in the same state as another one. <laughs> Washington, our bass players in California, Kurt's in Texas, and our drummer's in Florida. So just to practice, it's a big deal. Uh, yeah, no we kidding. Have, we wind up having to fly everybody in just to practice, and it's too expensive. So to prevent that, we just try to play uh, a dozen shows a month or so and keep in practice. Mm -hmm. But we still have a hard time being able to write new stuff and work on new stuff because we don't really have any rehearsal time. The last time we actually rehearsed was in 2009. <laughs> wow. So do you have any uh, upcoming tour plans in the near future? Well, you guys are going out to Latin America, right? We just came back uh, from Costa Rica last weekend. Now the next weekend, I think we're, we're starting a, a run of 10 shows in the U.S., which is going from... Oklahoma City to like the Detroit area to the New York area or whatever. But we do this basically every month and we do about uh, anywhere from 5 to 10, 12 shows a month and we just keep doing this. Uh, in a year, we sometimes might have a month off. Like in 2013, I think we're only going to have the month of June off. Every other month, we'll be playing 5 to 20 shows depending on what month it is and so we keep it busy nice all right man well uh as we mentioned to you earlier we always like to close all our interviews with the question spike what pisses you off <laughs> you know what really pisses me off is when somebody gets on their cell phone and starts talking really loud next to you <laughs> especially like when you're in a place where you should be halfway quiet like a movie theater or a restaurant I can remember recently sitting down at a restaurant and trying to eat dinner, and in the next booth over was this guy on his cell phone and just talking so loud, it was so annoying. And that pisses me off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hate that guy. <laughs> that guy's a dick. He goes <laughs> everywhere, too. He's everywhere. Yes, he's legion. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, you want to lead us into this next song? Sure. Well, like I was saying, um, we recorded this demo a few years back in Europe. On a tour, we had a day off and wound up running into somebody with a studio, and they said, you want to come in and try recording a few songs? And we had some songs to record, so we went in and did it. And this is the demo of Against Me. All right, man. Well, thanks again for joining us on the show. I really appreciate it, guys. And I'd like to say uh, another closing word to thank all our fans who've come to BRI shows and bought shirts and CDs and records. And without them, we know we couldn't have survived for 30 years and... 
we like to thank them all. It's been awesome. Right on. Once again, that tune was Against Me, brand new unreleased tune from Dirty Rotten Imbeciles. Thank you to Spike for joining us on this show once again. How cool was that? That was great. Wow. So, dude. Good. How about a little multimedia triage? You know how we do. Oh, I know how we do. I know. Remember last show I watched a uh, French-Canadian film? I think it was in Incendiaries. It yeah, was something French, something Canadian, something. It was a hell of a movie, but it was really depressing. Well, for no reason I can fathom, I ended up watching another French-Canadian film recently. <laughs> because you watched one, and so now they're popping up incessantly on yeah, your queue. Yeah, I guess Netflix is like, hey, you like French-Canadian films. <laughs> this is a buddy cop movie, an action comedy called uh, Bon Cop, Bad Cop. Yeah, that's French for good, good cop, bad cop. And it was an absolute uh, shit fest. Under no circumstances should you watch Bon Cop, Bad Cop, because it is as bad as it sounds. <laughs> I don't even have to tell you the story. You can kind of guess what it is, and you'd be right. There's one cop that's kind of a, a grungy guy that doesn't play by the rules, and then there's another cop that's a uptight guy, and he plays by all the rules. And one's French-Canadian, and one's a... Anglo-Canadian, and they have a body that's dropped right on the sign, right on the border between English-speaking Canada and French-speaking Canada, and they have to work together. Oh, the more I think about the movie, the more I hate the fact that I'm never going to get that 90 minutes of my life back. You have the funniest relationship with Netflix. 
It's like I watch stuff is very directed. Like you told me this was good, or I read about a movie, and so I put it on my queue, and when it pops up, I watch it. You're kind of like Netflix, you dirty whore. Surprise <laughs> me. <laughs> Give and you'll me watch, something. You'll just watch any old thing on Netflix, and I absolutely will not do that. Yeah, I have a random movie generator. <laughs> that is the funny. other thing I recently watched was, um, I was kind of looking forward to this one. The new Battlestar Galactica series has started. It's Blood and Chrome. Okay. And I watched the two-hour premiere of it. Uh Wow. You know, it was probably decent, I guess. But about an hour into it, the bouncy cam became such an extreme part of it. It was almost unwatchable. I know I complain a lot about the the handheld bouncy cam thing that filmmakers feel like they need to do these days. And in Battlestar Galactica, the first series, it was pretty cool the way they did it. They put it in sometimes to kind of bring you into the action. If a spaceship was blasting off, the camera would kind of not quite follow it and catch up to it, just like your eyes do when you see a fast-moving object. It was cool. But if you want to see the new Battlestar Galactica, Blood and Chrome, and you don't have access to a television, all you need to do is take a handheld camera, a couple of flashlights, and like a gray sock. (laughs) Throw it all into the dryer right after you hit record, turn on the dryer, and that's it. It was an absolute freaking seizure-inducing mess. It should have been called Battlestar Epileptica. I don't even know what in the fuck I watched half the time. So is there any at all tie-in to the first series? Yeah, yeah. Are some of the characters the same? As a young hotshot pilot, just oh, okay. You know, it's so it's kind of a, a prequel type of thing. Yeah, yeah, and and the the Cylons are all much more primitive, and the war between the Cylons and the humans is raging, and it has all the uh, a lot of the right elements, I guess. It, it seems of, like it should be pretty cool, but oh. speaking of raging, is there a hot young Starbucks? The eye candy is not nearly at uh, the same level as Battlestar Galactica was. Uh, no. I, I know that you were uh, partial to that. So I God, thought I was I'd partial ask. to Trish Helfer <laughs> and Starbuck and Boomer and <laughs> yeah, probably see? several of the male characters as well. Although I just wouldn't Baltar. Myself. <laughs> <Not yet>. No. <laughs> if I ever go gay, I'm not going that way. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, God. And then speaking of uh, science fiction, I've been reading. I know this is going to come as a shock. I hope you're sitting down. The next novel in the Horus Heresy series, Angel Exterminatus by Graham McNeil. It's uh, about the Primarch Fulgrim and the Emperor's children, who are all chaos up. And they've uh, teamed up with the Iron Hands. Uh, I can never pronounce that Primarch's name. Perturbo? And they are joining forces to go into this massive, what they call the Eye of Terror. It's this massive, chaosy storm to find ancient Eldar weapons to whoop ass against the Emperor. Yeah, it's kind of like and a black hole nebula type of a thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah there's a, a super massive black hole at the center that splits the very fabric of space and time. <laughs> what in the hell are the Emperor's children? <laughs> You need to work on your spelling, dude. <laughs> you know, you laugh at my spelling, but then I play those words and words with friends and kick your ass. So. For the Emperor. <laughs> For the Emperor. Em- <laughs> 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 
All right. I recognize that. I've gone to a couple of movies as well. All right. Went and saw Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, which I was glad to say I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I really wanted to like this film, and I wanted to support the director, Tommy Workola, who... Is did, he the guy that makes those throat lozenges? No. He's the director of the Norwegian zombie film Dead Snow, which was one of my favorite zombie movies. I love that flick. And so this is his first big-budget Hollywood effort, and I really wanted to enjoy it. And it has a lot of similarities with the films of Van Helsing that came out a few years ago and The Brothers Grimm, which was the Terry Gilliam film. But it does it well enough that you enjoy it. You don't feel like you've seen it all before. It's got some neat twists on fairy tales and mythology that it builds in. The acting is really fun. There's a lot of crazy kills. Just fantastic original kills that you haven't seen before on the screen as these guys kick a ton of witch ass. So it's a lot of fun. I really liked it and I think if you like that sort of thing, kind of a a fun, scary movie. I definitely think you'd have a good time with it. Uh, second, we went and saw Warm Bodies, which I mentioned, which is a zombie romantic comedy type of a thing. And, a romantic uh, zombie. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. It was, you know, it's kind of light. And it's not as crazy as like a Shaun of the Dead type of thing. But it had a cool, different take on the zombie thing and a little bit of a Shakespearean setup to it. It's about a guy who's a zombie, and he ends up sort of capturing this girl who is alive, whose name is Julie. And the guy can't remember his name, so his name is R. That's all he can remember. Yeah, it took me a long time until the balcony scene when I went, oh, shit, fuck, duh. Was his last name (laughs) Capulet? No. (laughs) But it was just like, oh. And I leaned over to Allie. I'm like, oh, yeah, you see what they did here? And she's like, yeah, I got it, Dad. So I'm old I'm and I don't get things have. fast anymore either, as you were mentioning earlier. But uh, it was an enjoyable film and a nice, light, romantic comedy. And the Shakespearean thing is kind of fun. And it has a different twist on zombies that I haven't seen before. And I enjoyed it. And I, evidently it's from a book. So, uh, you know, check out the book maybe. I don't know. Finally, speaking of books, I am almost finished with the latest Joe Abercrombie novel entitled Red Country. It's a fantasy novel, but it is basically a Western that's really cool. The main character uh, is this uh, young woman named Shy, and uh, she's coming back from town with her stepfather, this huge hulking brute of a man who's called Lamb because he appears at most times to be cowardly. They get back home to their farm, and the old man who lived with them has been murdered. The farm has been burned. And their two children, the young children, have been taken. And so they hook up with a group of wagon train settlers that are crossing the plains to get to this city in the pursuit of getting the kids back. And it's just super well written. I have to read just a couple of lines here that caught my eye and I found myself just kind of impressed. Five days following the sign across the empty grassland and into the woods, one eye on her black past, wondering what part of it had crept from the earth's cold clutches and stolen her life while she was grinning at tomorrow. Ooh. I just thought, fuck, Abercrombie can turn a phrase. And he does this throughout the book. And there's a big, su- yeah, it's not a big surprise if you've read his other books. Lamb is not who he seems. He's one of your favorite characters from the first Law trilogy. And 
it just has a big, big, crazy ending and definitely a good book. I really, really like it and think you ought to check it out. His First Law Trilogy also is good, so you may want to start there. They're really good reads, and the guy is fun to read, especially if you like someone like George R. R. Martin. This is a perfect thing to read while you're not reading a new book <laughs> by George R. R. Martin. And you will not be reading a new book by George R. R. Martin for some time, I'm sure. <laughs> Indeed. So that's uh, what I've been doing. Finished uh, Dishonored. That was cool. Had a good yeah. ending to it. Uh, wrapped it all up, and I'm done with it now. Okay. <laughs> Sent it back to Gamefly. It's over. And uh, that's about it. All right. Let's hear another tune then. This next song is Probation with an exclamation point. This is off of Crossover from 1987.
Once again, that was Probation from Crossover off Metal Blade Records in 1987 by DRI. And now it's time for Filthy Filthy Jokes. Filthy Jokes! All right. Am I going first? Yes. A woman discovered that her husband was having an affair, so she killed him, which I guess is the thing they do. And she decides to bury his body somewhere in the countryside. Like you do. Like you do. So she hauls his naked corpse into the trunk of her car. And when she goes to slam the trunk, she accidentally severs his penis. She picks up the dismembered organ and puts it on the dashboard, hops in the car, guns it down the road. She's going to get out to the countryside and bury this naked, dead, penisless husband. But she's, she's so stressed out by this whole thing that she starts driving erratically and attracts the attention of a police car. So pretty soon, there's a high-speed chase. She speeds up to avoid the cops. She's going around corners. They're chasing her. They're getting closer and closer. And then suddenly she remembers that her husband's penis is sitting on the dashboard. Full view of anybody that should happen to pull her over. So she grabs it and she throws it out through the sunroof. The penis flies through the air and hits the windshield of the police car behind it. Bounces (laughs) right off of it. One cop turns the other and goes, she's driving like a maniac. The second cop goes, never mind her. Did you see the cock on that fly? (laughs) Nice. I haven't heard that one before. Oh, wow. Well done. That's something right there. Well, this is a quick one. I had no idea. I guess I had an inkling. How many Willie Nelson jokes there are in the world? But uh, I've got this book that's called Dirty Jokes Every Man Should Know, and I was flipping through it, doing a little research, and there's like a whole chapter on Willie Nelson jokes. And so I picked this one up. What is the worst thing you can hear after getting a hand job from Willie Nelson? What? By the way, I'm not really Willie Nelson. Actually, I think I have heard that before. Long ago, and possibly in the drug tank. I don't know. <laughs> it's not bad, though. That's a good joke. A good joke. <laughs> it's got a smooth finish. <laughs> <laughs> How about another tune? From the 1983 Dirty Rotten LP, by way of the Dirty Rotten Hits compilation, this is Who Am I? Thank yous. Uh, of course, we would be remiss to not thank Spike Cassidy from Dirty Rotten Imbeciles for chatting with us this episode and allowing us to play some of the amazing music that you've got to hear tonight. Again, real thrill for us to get to feature DRI. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled. Don't so. forget, you can pick up all of your Dirty Rotten goodness at DirtyRottenImbeciles.com. They've got a merch shop there. And go there to take a look at the raffle for the guitar for Spike's Cancer Fund. 
No, don't take a look. Buy a ticket. If I catch you just looking, I'm going to come over there and slap you. <laughs> Our usual bullshit. You can reach the show at 425-296-6557 or via email to steve at bonehand.com. Got new content on bonehand.com every Sunday, including the heavy half hour when I get around to it. And you can find my weekly cartoon at mightywombat.com. And in the unlikely event that I should Twitterify, you can find me at mighty underscore wombat on Twitter. I am on Twitter as well as Bonehand, or you can find our Bonebat feed there, where I keep that up to date with all of the latest film festival news. You can also find that on our Facebook group as well. And of course, thank you for listening. If you like what we do, we always appreciate it if you could tell a friend, and many of you have. You Holy guys have been blowing up lately. Thank you. Our January numbers were insano, and I don't know what we did, but uh, I guess we did less, right? A shorter yeah. show. Shorter if anything, show. we're learning from our listeners is they like to hear less of us. Yeah. That's what they're telling us. Shut up. All right. Closing this week, we're going to listen to the second unreleased demo from Dirty Rotten Imbeciles. This is, as mentioned before, as seen on TV, brand new tune. I hope you dig it. Once again, I'm Steve. This is Gord. Have a good one. I do have a good one. American dream, multi-speed, turbocharged, high capacity, ergonomic, economic, realistic, feel, double-sized, made with high carbon steel, as seen on TV, as seen on TV, do the spring colors, this is something you need, buy it to this week and we throw it in for free, those resistance shatterproof, one the only deal, customized glass, this boost stacks appeal, as on TV as seen on TV High power growth rate American dream Multi-speed turbocharged high capacity Ergonomic, economic, realistic feel Double-sized, made with high carbon steel As seen on TV As seen on TV This is something you need Buy it to this week and we throw it in for free Rusty's is a shatterproof, one the only deal Customized glass is a blue sex appeal As seen on TV As seen on TV My voice gets sexy when I have a cold Oh yeah <laughs> Yeah I got the cold voice I got phlegm as a lubricant You know I be all lubricated Do my lung Nothing is a better lubricant than lung butter. Lung butter? <laughs> lung better. <laughs> I think we've got us an end of the show. <laughs> <laughs>